Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Hello and welcome to Slam Fire Radio. This is episode 133 for November 27th, 2015. I am one of your hosts, Trevor the Frog. Oh, sorry, you paused there. I I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought you were just going to say Trevor and just be done with it. I'd like to think that this is the only time you're going to cut me off tonight, but... We'll see about that. I suspect that it's wrong. I know that it's wrong. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Adriel, are you with us, or did you just go on mode? These guys are here. Hi. So. hi. Uh, I'm Adriel. Hi, Adriel. Michaud. Okay. The, the French Frosty. one. The French one, yeah. <laughs> Monsieur, Monsieur Frosty. Yeah, I'm here to uh, represent uh, French Canadians. There you Excellent. go. Excellent. And so if you, sp- if you spoke French, would it have a Chinese accent? <laughs> well, there was a Japanese guy oh. who taught French at university and all of his students spoke French with a Japanese accent. It That's hilarious. Awesome. Yeah, it was. accent ever. Yeah, so. <laughs> okay, enough about silly accents um, and silly co-hosts. McClatchy, I, uh, looking at the notes here, I'm willing to bet that you're going to take a long time telling us what you did this week, so why don't yeah, you get started? This week, I, I recorded a podcast about guns. Wait, Thanks. that's what I'm doing right now. Right. That's all I've done. I thought you were going to tell us about you being on another show. And actually, Adriel, he's a bit of a, a harlot of the night. He jumped ship and left and went to record with another show, and I don't think he ever bothered to talk about it on our show. Which one? You were on Polite Society Polite Podcast. Society. Where you... Yes, I was. Yeah. Talking about you... the liberals and what happens if they win, and yeah. And then they won. Yeah. And so they you won. jinxed us. Good, good one. No. Way, way to go. That's why you shouldn't go on other shows. Yeah. Actually, I think it was uh, Eastern Canada that really hooped us there. It was, it was just a red wave flooding across those provinces. Look, it's disgusting. In northern New Brunswick, you could paint a pig red and they would elect it. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. Probably what they did. And I don't know why. Places. Northern New Brunswick is dying and it dies under a red regime and they keep re-electing the red regime. <sighs> well, and this I, isn't I, a politics I, show. I can't no. really talk too much because Alberta's all NDP right now. So Yeah, it's all orange. Yeah. yeah. It's even worse. All right. Well, uh, so, yeah, other, other than record a podcast, I started selling Beowulf mags again. So we, we decided that since there was no official ban put out by anybody official, uh, that the law hasn't changed, that they are still legal. So uh, so we, Press Check Ventures, has re, re-begun selling them. So if you want your Beowulf mags, you may want to get them <laughs> before they do ban them. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. they never do, though. Well, I mean, they really can't. I mean, the, unless they literally change the law, they really can't. You, That's it, right. The law is written the way it's written, and and we're within the confines of the law, so there's really nothing they can do. But you know, I I I, I hesitate to say that because we all know that the RCMP just does whatever they want, and so eventually, I'm sure they're going to get their way, especially under liberal leadership here. So nobody really to keep them in check now. So I'm kind of worried, but. It is what it is, but until they do officially ban them or they do officially, you know, change the law or whatever, we're going to just continue selling them because they are still legal. Yeah, two things to consider. One, there's no one to stop them. 
from doing what they want. Right. And two, um, the conservatives under their eight years were able to roll back some gun control. So there's nothing, uh, if you take that same logic and apply it to the liberals, then the liberals can roll forward more gun control. That's right. And that's really what I don't like about our system. I like it when we get mistakes corrected, but I don't like it when we make mistakes we have to correct. That's and, right. And, you know, the liberals were against C-42. Um, they've said that they won't re, re, re reinstall a, um, a registry because they, whether they'd like to admit it or not, they do acknowledge that it was a complete waste of money and didn't serve any, it didn't provide public safety. So right. they're not going to bring it back. But I can see them trying to reverse some of the things in C-42. Which is ridiculous because like, if you look through C-42 and you look at what it's done for us, it's nice. It's It adds to the convenience of being a gun owner. It hasn't made it like much more dangerous. It hasn't done anything other than remove a couple pieces of paper and force people to uh, to take training in a in a classroom environment versus challenging a test. Yeah, which I could see the liberals actually liking. What what each of you tell me? What is your favorite aspect of C forty two? I don't really ha- I don't really have one because we didn't really get ATTs rolled into our licenses. Well, we did, except it doesn't change the convenience for me at all because I still have to carry a piece of paper around. So. That, yeah, did, did. that did nothing for me. I don't like the fact that you can't challenge a test anymore because, as far as I'm concerned, if so you, you can nothing. pass the test, you know the material. Yeah. 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 Nothing so. has changed for me. Nothing at all. Okay. Well, for I, me, I have my ATT and all that paperwork in my bag, and I'm going to keep it in there for the, for, for the foreseeable future until they change it. Yeah. Now, the, the one thing about ATTs that I like, and I think that you two are missing or forgetting, we're not talking the convenience of I'm not talking about long term ATTs. I like the fact that I don't have to call and get an ATT to go to the gunsmith. I don't have to call and get an ATT to bring Matthew a gun I just sold. That's uh, gone. I'm, I can I'm just from one the of the uh, privileged provinces, so uh, we don't have that kind of crap in uh, in Alberta. Right, and see, like in Ontario, you need an AT you need an ATT to to cross the street, and they even you know, force the gun clubs to force the members to take a test to get the ATT that the government, that the losses the government has to give you anyway. For me, the thing I, yeah, the thing that I liked about, or I like about Bill C-42, it didn't affect me, but it's still a very positive thing for gun owners everywhere, and that is all possession-only licenses got turned into possession and acquisition licenses automatically. They didn't even have to wait for a new card to come in the mail. The day it took effect, September whatever, they could go to Canadian Tire, go to a local gun shop, show a possession-only license, and buy a gun for the first time since 1995. That is a, that is a cool feature. I mean, I do like that part for sure. Yeah, I think to that me, applies to my most, dad. Yeah, That's the most significant change that I saw in C42. Well, I think, um, and so like just, just to lay all my cards on the table, like Alberta had uh, the most permissive, I guess, uh, rules around ATTs, and our, our CFO is generally pretty reasonable. Uh, but uh, I think what what C42 was trying to do, and w- one of the bigger things it was trying to do was just get it so that it was more consistent across the board, across the different provinces. Because in Ontario, like Ontario is one of the worst ones that you mentioned. Because yeah, the clubs do offer those AT like an offer. They force people to do those ATT courses, and Quebec is is just as bad. I mean, both yeah, of these have. provinces have have terrible rules that they've enacted, and it's totally ridiculous. 
And yep. uh, yet this is a, a federal piece of legislation. So we've got a federal piece of legislation administered provincially with completely different rules across the board. Yep, completely arbitrary. And, I mean, we see so much discrepancies between provinces. We started talking about, for example, I'd like I'd still like us to try and do some kind of expose about how the Firearms Act is administered so differently from province to province. And I always wanted to pick, for example, the teaching of the firearm safety course, the restricted firearm safety course. Perfect example in BC, uh, Manitoba used to be once upon a time, maybe it still is, I don't know. But in BC, for sure, we know that you can teach the restricted firearm safety course for a living. And then you get to New Brunswick and you have to do it as a volunteer and they're not taking any volunteers. So why is it that somebody can make money off of teaching the course in one part of the country on a federal law, but I can't here, right? There's a huge discrepancy in how the Firearms Act is administered. And people suffer from ethnocentrism, right? Our way is the right way, and everybody else is backwards. So there are people all over this country living under some archaic interpretation of the Firearms Act, and they don't realize they are because they're assuming, because this is how it is for me, this is how it is for everybody. But that is not the case. And I think if we educated the public and said, hey, did you know that you don't have to do this here? Did you know that you guys have to do this and the rest of the country doesn't? That might get the conversation started and have them put pressure on their CFOs to say, why are you enforcing this on me when right across the imaginary line in the next province they don't have to? And it's the same federal document. Exactly. It doesn't make sense. And they don't know they're being screwed. So they're not doing anything about it because they're just unaware. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, that's what I did with guns this week. Trevor, what do you do? <laughs> I um, I worked on an old Enfield. Um, unfortunately, I did so before looking down the bore. Oh. So former student Was it mine, a waste of time? Complete waste of time. <sighs> former student did of you mine shoot says, it, though? Eventually, yep. Former student of mine says, I'm going hunting on Monday in Nova Scotia. Can you sight in my rifle for me? All right, no problem. So... He brings me the rifle and the scope rings and rail that are on it. It's a, it's, it's a newer Enfield, and someone went through a lot of time and energy to try and make it appear like a new modern rifle. This thing had been buffed, completely polished, zero tool marks. All the, all the original markings were gone. The serial number had actually been replaced with a sticker. That's how much they worked on this gun, like to get rid of all the tool marks, all the markings, and um, it at one time would have been a shiny, glossy firearm. It had been reblued the whole nine yards. So at one time it was really, really dressed up nice, had a modern stock on it, Monte Carlo, you know, um, but it had been it hadn't been treated very well. Anyway, the rail was really narrow, and the rings that were holding the scope on were basically 22 rimfire rings. They had that small base, you know? Yeah. And uh, they were they were junk, and the screws were all beat up. And anyway, I did what I could with it. I, 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 I moved some things around and spread the rings out. I lapped them with my uh, lapping bar, and I loctited everything, leveled the scope, and uh, removed the action from the stock and cleaned it up a little bit with some sandpaper to free it up some, and... Um, the rear stock was was uh, loose, so I tightened that. I cleaned the bore, and man, it's like holy! This thing is dirty. I I can't imagine the last time this thing was cleaned. 
and uh, then I look down it with a flashlight. So, you know, somebody brings you an old gun, check the barrel first before you start putting time and energy into leveling scopes and this and the other thing. So you could see the pitting. It wasn't horrific, but it was pitted. And we took it out to the range, and sure enough, it wouldn't hold a group to save its life. So That's too bad. Sometimes even with, with bad pitting, as long as the crown is okay, you can still get at least some decent groups out of it. But Well, that's why I told him. I said, you know, if it holds a 4-inch group, it holds a 4-inch group, you know what you have. Yeah. But every like me got to the point where we were we were losing the bullet at fifty, right? So I told him I said it's, it would be completely unethical for you to take this firearm hunting. You know you're responsible for every bullet that leaves that gun, and if you miss your animal, yeah, or and if you miss the animal because you were hunting with a um, an unsafe, essentially, you know, if you if you don't know where your bullets are going to go, I consider that an unsafe firearm. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Know, so. That's got to be the, the scope rings and base and, and, and that kind of junk that he added afterwards because even if the bore was absolutely horrific, it, you'd still be able to get them on paper at 50. Yeah, well, and I mean, in this, you're right. I gave, the, I gave the scope 16 clicks one time or 24 clicks and, and it didn't move one bit. So the scope is an issue as well. No yes. question. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would almost, well, it, yeah. If if the rifle's complete junk at this point, then don't worry about it. But if there's sort of sentimental value there, or it's all he's got and he can't afford anything else, then maybe a new scope, or well, even just curious. a different scope. Take, take it back to iron sights and see see what it does there. No, they're because, gone. They're oh, gone. they're gone. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, Bec- well, because, I would suggest uh, a new scope, and then um, if he gets a new rifle, then he can transfer the scope on later. Yeah. True. Okay. So. I've yeah, got a, a, a that M1 Grand that I've got. The barrel is horrific on it. I know I'm losing velocity on it because the last inch or so it doesn't have hardly any rifling on it. Uh, but it's accurate. It it'll hit within the two to four inch uh, groups at 100, which is for a semi-automatic rifle about where it needs to be. Hmm. You know, I don't know what mine does. I uh, I should get some. I should get out and really shoot a group on paper with it and see. I've never really bothered to. I've just kind of plinked with it and stuff. I'm yeah. curious what mine does with the new new Cytron barrel. No. I imagine it's going to be a whole lot better than yours, to be honest. Well, so. you, might, you might see two to three. Like, four is on the high side when, you know, I maybe I mess up on the, on the sights or something like that, but it's got a long sight radius. Um, you know, there's only so much you can mess up with, uh, with iron sights, and I think maybe if if your friend had those iron sights, you could check those out and see if they were working. Because I know a lot of the uh, there's a lot of variation in the receivers with 303s, and if he's running a scope mount on it, it could be loose. It might not be fitting correctly, and and that might be oh, nothing was loose. I I torqued everything down, and I and I loctited everything, and I did all that before I got there. But I think the scope itself is an eighty dollar piece of junk. Oh yeah, that'll do it. So. And then I tested some test loads that I loaded last winter. Um, Toby sent me a bunch of different uh, 223 projectiles, and I had some other ones I wanted to try. So I got out, and I tried those, and I tried my um, some 165-grain Nosler AccuBond and my .30-06. Uh, not amazing. Um, I've tried 165-grain Hornady Superformance out of that rifle, and that was amazing. At uh, 100 yards, two bullets in the same hole, and the other one off by about half an inch. Um, but it's just a question of powder. I was using Varget, and I wasn't using enough of it. So no more Varget in the 30 out 6 and no more Varget in the 223. Um, 
our friend Ed told me to try Benchmark, and he's had incredible results using Benchmark in two two three rifles, half inch groups out of at least three different two two three rifles that he's had. Um, you're going to get more velocity with uh, without even having to go to a compressed load. Uh, Varget is uh, 27 and a half grains is the maximum charge, and that is a compressed load, and um, it, that will produce less velocity than Benchmark. So I really want to get my hands on some Benchmark, and because um, I want I want the most accurate group I can get with the most velocity. I mean, it's a hunting rifle. And it's a two-two-three. So if I'm going to get any kind of knockdown power, I need to get the bullet going to where it should be over 3,000 feet per second. If it's not going over 3,000 feet per second, it's not going to produce any kind of terminal ballistics. So uh, I'm going to suspend the two-two-three testing until I get my hands on some uh, some benchmark for sure. But I mean, the group was nice. I sent you a picture of it, Matthew. One of the groups I shot, and it was uh, it was good. Yes, it was. It was very good. I, was very I also with it. I also shot. Um, I had cleaned the barrel and I got. I, I unfortunately stripped the copper out of it, so I needed to foul it in again. And now that it's fouled in again, um, the gun has always performed really well. As a matter of fact, the best factory ammunition I've ever put through my Thompson Center Venture Predator is Winchester White Box, forty-five grain jacketed hollow point, and I shot another half inch to three-quarter of an inch group with it at a hundred. Um, before I put the test loads through it. So the gun is sighted in with that factory ammo uh, so that it's ready to go. If I need to go hunting, I grab a box of that, I grab the rifle, it's ready to go because uh, I still haven't actually developed the load and I've only had the gun <laughs> since 2010. Um, but yeah. Is that all? Is that all, yeah. Well, look, I mean, the test loads that I put through it last week were loaded last winter. Just my rifles get neglected because I'm always ipsic, ipsic, ipsic. Burns was there with his two Model 629s. He's got one in 4.2 inch with a 4.2 inch barrel and one in uh, with a 6 inch barrel. And he's got them both pretty tuned up for Ipsic. He has taken his cylinders and sent them to a company in the U.S. called TK Customs. And they take the, the cylinder and they machine it down and uh, manufacture their own moon clips. And he's actually shooting 44 Russian out of this revolver. The bullets are cast and then powder-coated. And the way the 44 Russian bullets fit on the moon clip, when you open the cylinder and you drop that moon clip into the cylinder, it's almost like it's on rails. They just funnel into those cylinders so slick and so quick. It's You can do some like the fastest revolver reloads possible. And with the 44 Russian... You're still making major power factor, but there's uh, there's it's like it's basically like shooting 38s out of your 357 Magnum. That would be like what the recoil is like. Right, big heavy gun, and, and uh, so nice to shoot. And then I did some uh, some archery stuff. Um, I've got a uh, I worked on. There's a, a local archery club here. A couple of the members came over so I could help them get their bows set up. And then we had practice on uh, last night, actually. And I leave Saturday morning to go to Woodstock to put on a clinic. Um, I accepted, uh, what day was it? Monday, I think. I accepted the position of provincial coach for Archery New Brunswick. Well, that's cool. So it is, but it's also going to be a lot of work, especially as we get closer to the Canada Games. 
Yeah. So th- this winter won't be bad. This winter, I'm not going to do too much. The Canon games are four years away. Um, I'm going to just, you know, get a couple of things done, but nothing crazy. And then, because I'll also, you know, I'm still fully committed to um, to SummerSlam. Uh, unfortunately, I was going to st- uh, stay on the executive with the Rescue Gun Club and, and take over as secretary. I told Jason that I wouldn't be able to do that because I was going to take the um, parental coach's job and he threatened to feed certain parts of my anatomy to his dog. (laughs) He's not terribly excited with me right now. And then thanks to Mike, who uh, we'll talk to in in a couple of minutes here. Um, Mike heard about my woes with the pulling of the 44 Magnum ammunition. He suggested I get either the Hornady or the RCBS bullet puller that goes into your reloading press. It's so slick. I don't think I'll ever use a hammer again. And I keep setting up these new or these single stage presses with all these different functions. I've got one that is specific for my bulge buster. I've got one single stage press that's just a universal decapping uh, die in it. And now I think I want to set another one up just with this bullet puller. It's so slick. It's got a collet in there. No more smashing a hammer around. No more spilling gunpowder everywhere. And it's it's quicker than using the kinetic hammer because you've got to take the cap off the kinetic hammer, put the bullet into the bullet holder, screw the cap back on, smack, 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 pour out the bullet, pour out the powder, recover the powder. This is just, you put the bullet on the shell plate, you bring up the ram, you turn the the lever on the top of the bullet puller die, bring the ram down, pull the brass off, loose, take the tension off of the lever, on the top of the die and the bolt falls in your hand. Nice. Yeah. It's clean. It's quick. Very convenient. So thanks to Mike for that. That's it for me. Uh, Adriel, how's about you? <laughs> so when you usually pull bullets, do you usually use the, the hammer thing? I was using the hammer. Um, so I, I, I've, I've got one of those hammers as well. And one of the things I do when I've got just one bullet that I've, uh, or one cartridge that I've fully assembled and, is ready to go, but I need to disassemble it because it was the wrong powder or, or whatever. Maybe maybe the primer got in backwards. Um, I've got a big flat washer that I put in an empty station on my turret. I, ru- I run the, the handle down, put the cartridge up so the bullet's poking out of that washer. I grab that bullet with a, a set of uh, pliers, and I just pull the handle down. The bullet is marred up, and it's, uh, it's worthless uh, afterwards. But uh, otherwise, everything else is really quick. So th- just because I got tired of hammering as as well, as it, I, I just didn't want to do it. So I just use a, a plier and a, a washer just to keep the plier from getting into the threads of the uh, turret. Hmm. Interesting. You know, this, this, uh, it, this um, keeps the bullet pristine. There's, it doesn't damage the bullet whatsoever. You can't tell that the bullet's been pulled out by this collet. But you, you'll need a, a different call it size for each different uh, caliber that you're running, right? Well, I mean, you get one thirty caliber, one two two four caliber. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you're not going to need a whole bunch of them. Um, I my I don't know if the forty four will also take forty five. I'm not sure. Um, but of course, you know the thirty eight three fifty seven will probably take the nile as well. Um, so, so you'll you know you may end up with uh, three or four at uh, about ten thirteen dollars a piece. Ah, oh, it's not bad. So, no, it's not bad. Yeah. But with with 
with added convenience comes added cost, right? You're paying for mm-hmm. convenience. So, but, um, yeah. So anything, anything to stop me from having to like lean over on a cement floor and bang away at a hammer at whatever 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock at night and wake up my kids, you know, I'll take it. Well, it'd be perfect for that. Yeah. Super quiet. And uh, I've got some, some 30 out six loads that I loaded for the grand that didn't work. And when I tried to pull them, the hammer wasn't having it. Yeah, were they just uh, too crimped or? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I had some uh, 4570 loads where I, I was done doing a heavy crimp on them because it's 4570 and, and you don't, you know, and in the tube, you don't want to leave a, a light crimp on them and it's a lead projectile. So uh, heavy crimp plus lead projectile equals it's never coming out again <laughs> once it's assembled, mm. it's done. <laughs> and the ha- yeah, the hammer was just useless. I would, I would break the thing before taking it out. Anyways, um, yeah, so this week um, I'm I'm out hunting pretty much all week. I've uh, I started on Saturday. I'm out for white-tailed deer, and so far I've seen uh, mule deer and moose and coyote, which I shot, and uh, uh, different kinds of weasels. Uh, I'm not I'm not really up on my weasel one terminology. What's I that? saw a white weasel running across the road the other day with a mouse in its mouth. Yeah, there. They're they're crazy to see out in the bush, and uh, mm. I, I'm not sure because I th- like there's weasels, and then there's uh, Martin and yeah, uh, Martin mink. and and there's a, a Fisher, yeah, there's a Fisher, a mink, a weasel, and a Martin. Martins are the nicest; they've got the nicest coloring. You can tell the face on a Martin. I think weasels are are white, minks and are black. Minks, uh, fishers are black, but a little bit bigger. Anyway, they're all, all they're all this bait. I've seen white. I've seen the the weasels. I've also seen black uh, over the last week here. So it must have been a, a mink or uh, a fisher. Um, anyways, yeah. So I've been on hunting. I haven't shot a deer yet. Uh, all my buddies that like I've got. I usually go out with two of my buddies here, and they've both shot their deer. So now I've I've got to shoot mine, and I'm up till I'm out hunting till Sunday. So I'm, I've still got a couple more days here. So I'm not too worried. Um, the area where I hunt uh, it usually has. Like it's a big field, and I've got a big tower that overlooks the whole damn thing. Uh, but the field is uh, doesn't have any alfalfa in it. Usually, it's got a whole bunch of alfalfa in it, and this year it's just long grass. So it's it, I don't I'm I'm thinking maybe it doesn't have the nutrition. Maybe the deer aren't showing up because I haven't seen hide nor hair except for this one stupid mule deer who's walking across the hill kind of thing. So I don't know. I might have to. Uh, move and uh like move my hunting spot and, and hunt somewhere else because i'm not seeing too much right now uh other than that i uh I, my buddy got a, a ruger precision rifle uh, in 6.5 creedmoor so we've been shooting that and checking it out and all that kind of stuff it's actually kind of cool it's uh i don't know if, if either of you have had a, a ruger american but they they i think they they run their bolts through a lathe because there's uh, marks on it, and as you push the bolt in, it makes kind of a sound from uh, from moving across those uh, those lathe marks. And uh, the the precision rifle is the same, uh, but it's it's got some really cool uh, I guess features or additions on it. The safety is in the right spot if you have a pistol grip. If you have a pistol grip, um, like I, I've got I've got an MDT HS3 stock pistol grip. But I've got a Savage bolt action uh, body on it, right? So my safety's up top on the tang. Yet I have this straight buttstock coming out the back. So I have to like I have to 
remove my right hand entirely from the rifle, pull it up top, and push the tang safety forward to disengage the safety, which isn't ideal uh, compared to the, the Ruger Precision Rifle, which has a safety that's on your right thumb, just like an AR is. So it's, it's right uh, on the left side of the action, and uh, very convenient. Uh, a little bit stiff, but it's new, so maybe it'll work in a, a little bit. Uh, the bolt itself also telescopes into the buttstock, so it goes past the rear of the receiver into the buttstock, uh, and the buttstock folds over to the left, which makes it easy to take out the bolt. Whenever you run a chassis system, you need to pull the bolt out, and your, your the, the rear of your buttstock needs to be low enough that your bolt can be fully pulled out, whereas these guys just designed it into their buttstock so that it can, it can telescope into the, into the buttstock, or you fold the buttstock to the left and uh, and immediately get access to the the bolt that way. So it's kind of cool. Interesting. Uh, we, we you know we're just playing with it right now. I've not heard of anything ever set up like that. Well, you 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 think about a lot of the um, chassis systems that are developed. They're developed for a particular action. It's never action and chassis at the same time and buttstock at the same time and develop them all together and make one really you know decent. In a, relatively inexpensive, like this thing is sixteen hundred bucks. It's it's not like it's a, an inexpensive rifle by any means. It's an inexpensive precision rifle, though, because by the time you're done uh, buying all these different components, you're at sixteen hundred bucks, two thousand bucks, really quickly. So um, it's kind of interesting from that aspect. I haven't played with it enough to to be a, a pro at it or anything, though. So um, I don't know. I'll, maybe I'll, I'll talk more about it on a, a later show once I've had some more time with it. Um, I, one of the other things that I did was uh, uh, take secretary at our uh, three-gun league in, in my local club. Um, and by secretary, I mean you know, like I'll be updating the website and that kind of thing because, I don't know, I, I know website stuff, so I'll be able to do all that kind of thing. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've done anything else in gun. Like uh, me and my buddies went out to the shooting range just uh, in the middle of our hunt here and went over to a gravel pit and shot some targets at 100 meters and 500 meters and um, I was shooting that uh, uh, Savage 10 TR with that MDT HS3 stock and the skeleton buttstock on it and uh, with the Cytron S3 on top it's so easy to hit. We, we've got a target out at 500 yards that's about uh, 30 centimeters across. No problem. Just hammering that thing over and over and over again until Mirage starts coming up and, and really making the, the view hard with uh, going through the scope. Um, and one of my buddies was doing really well with the Ruger Precision. I couldn't get it going, though. I, I couldn't. Uh, he was telling me, like, go up two hash marks and write this much, and I, I couldn't get it to where I was hitting really consistent. But uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm going to because at 100 yards, it paints a really, really tight group. I was looking at uh, right around point, point seven five, like three-quarters of an inch uh, at 100 yards. So it's looking good. Very nice. Neat. I uh, I want a Citron. The uh, I've been talking with a guy here in your Hirsch. Uh, uh, not uh, he sells Lapua products, and um, I'm picking up a hundred pieces of Lapua 308 brass tomorrow. Um, good price, eighty bucks for a hundred pieces of Lapua brass. I'm I'm happy with that. Nice. And um, he shoots 308 up to a thousand all the time. 
And so I'm hoping to do the same with mine someday, but I definitely need better glass. I thought the scope that I got was fantastic until I shot it at almost 600 meters. And when I dropped my reticle on an eight inch plate, you could, you almost lost the plate behind the reticle. It's just too, so. Anyway. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a six to 24 that I'm using right now, the, the Citron that I'm using. And it's very yeah. easy to see the plate. And uh, you can even, like when my buddy was shooting his uh, 6.5 Creedmoor, I could see the trails from the bullet going in to, uh, on the target. So it's really cool. I, I've I've seen that before with, uh, you, you get a, a glimpse of a 22 or a 9mm when you're shooting and the, the sun's at your back. Uh, but I haven't mm-hmm. seen vapor trails before. And that's you, you, you get that at 25 times zoom or 20 times zoom. Nice. That's cool. Speaking of vapor trails, why don't we get into our uh, upcoming events? So the first annual Ronnie DeGroot Rock Out With Your Glock Out Steel Challenge is going to be on June 4th, 2016. And the next one is the sixth annual charity shoot in support of Soldier On. That'll take place on June 25th in Kingston, Ontario at the Brockville District Fish and Game Club. If you're interested, then contact New Shooter Canada or check out their events Facebook page. Now, I've asked you this before, and I'm going to ask you again just to see. Are, are you going to be able to make it out to that? <laughs> ask me next week. Ask yeah, me okay. Next week. So, so we're, we're still like maybe up in the air kind of thing. We'll, we'll see what the price of oil is like at that time. All right. All right. Uh, the next uh, upcoming event uh, will be in August next year. It's the Handgun Fundamentals 1 that Trevor and I are going to be putting on, and Adriel will be there for that one because apparently it, he can go to that one, but he can't come to the other one, like whatever. I, I don't no know. no excuse for the one that's two hours. It's, it's, like, it's like there's half a country in the way or something for, for the charity shoot. <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> anyway, it costs us $200 per person, and if my calculations are right, there are one spots available. I, I may have you not had... We're almost sold out then? Yeah, just about. Um, oh. we, I don't actually have the EMT but for from two people, but they have expressed uh, interest, and they said they will be sending their EMTs shortly. So as long as their money gets in before somebody else does, they're on the list. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's just going to be both uh, um, well, handgun fundamentals as taught by Trevor and Matthew. So uh, we, we've got... You know, several years of experience now shooting handguns, and we've taken several courses ourselves. Uh, so we we sort of know what we're doing enough to hopefully pass on some some knowledge and some skills to some other people. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that goes well. Um, and this last one is from Jason Philp. Uh, it's the Foreign Invasion 2016 in Coyote Springs, Tucson, Arizona. It's January 28th and 30th, so that's uh, coming right up in about two months. It's going to be uh, shotgun. Um, shooting. So 500 targets. You can go to coyotespringsclays.com for more info if you're interested in uh, in taking part in that. Shoot some traps. Some traps. Yeah, shoot some traps as the skeets go flying or something like that, I think. <laughs> Is that how that works? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's what yeah. I thought. We're, uh, we're definitely clay shooting pros here, so oh, we, know, we know all the terminology. For sure. All right, well, it looks like Trevor's having some technical info, or uh, technical uh, uh, difficulties here. So why don't we uh, go through some of these news items here until he figures out how his internet connection works and and gets back online. Um, Adriel, the the first one here is of some interest to all of us. How about you cover that one for us? uh, So on episode 130, we had the uh, Alberta Tactical Rifle Supply? I think so. 
Yeah, I think that ATRS. They're they're the guys that are behind the Modern Hunter. They downsized the Modern Hunter from 308 to 223, and it just got approved, so it's available for sale. And you know, it's kind of interesting. A lot of people have been um, commenting that it's 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 kind of expensive, um, and it is. You know, at at three thousand dollars, it's an expensive semi-automatic rifle, but. Uh, when you look at what they're putting into it, they're putting in like a a, a match barrel. Um, uh, yeah, really yeah. This a, isn't this isn't a Norinco close quarter combat here. This no, is uh, this is not. a high end uh, hunting rifle. It's not a lot, it's, of pe- a lot of people have been like, well, why don't I just use my Mini fourteen? It's like, well, they're not the, the same thing at all. And then and and uh, they're mentioning on the page for it. Hey, make sure you're using uh, match ammo. Sixty. Yeah, match ammo or, or good. Or good hand loads. Yeah, and and people were complaining, saying, "Well, I like shooting my uh, bulk Federal fifty-five grain stuff." It's like, but well, this isn't a bulk Federal fifty-five grain gun. This yeah, is a hunting buying, rifle. This is a, a, a precision. Yeah, you're buying a three thousand dollar rifle. You're not buying an XCR. Exactly. Exactly. Anyways, I I, I thought that was funny, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's been approved, which is kind of cool. It, it was. Just a few, uh, few days, I guess, after the election, he was saying that, that he got like a, a verbal that it would be approved, and uh, that got approved. So it's it's out there. So if you should like this this thing, it's called the modern var- varmint rifle. I think that's specifically what it's designed for. It's designed exactly. for shooting varmints. It's accurate. It's semi-automatic. Those two things are difficult to get in a rifle that's made for varmints. There you go. That so if you want to shoot coyotes at maybe two, three hundred yards with a Beowulf accurate, mag, with a Beowulf mag, uh, and you might see two coyotes. So a bolt action rifle is going to be a disadvantage. This is this is the option, definitely. But it's pricey. It is. It I is. want one, yeah. but man, I mean, here's the thing: my new Tanfoglio with a gas pedal thumbrest put on it, two extra mags with extreme base pads. Um, costs the exact same amount as this rifle, the exact same, within a couple of bucks. How, a- ten- how accurate is your Tanfoglio at uh, 100 yards? Well, and here's the thing: the Tanfoglio not only, well, you know, not only am I not going to shoot coyotes with it at 100 yards, it's a restricted firearm, and it's meant for one thing and one thing only: playing the game of Ipsic. If I got this rifle, I could use it for planking. I could use it for three gun, and more importantly, because it's non-restricted, it could become a trunk gun slash hunting rifle. But I can justify buying an Ipsic handgun, but I can't justify spending thirty-two hundred bucks on a on a rifle that has multiple uses. <laughs> Something's wrong with my priorities. One of the other ones that I don't know if anyone's mentioned here: uh, service rifle. So someone who wants to do a service rifle, which you can engage targets at uh, hundred to five hundred yards, kind of thing. Uh, you do need something that's that's decently accurate. Their uh, their target structure is uh, you know smaller, and when you're when you're especially the targets you have to shoot prone, you have to shoot really accurately, and your rifle will play into part of that. And uh, this is one of those things where you could use a rifle like this for shooting service rifle and for hunting. Yep. Not that I yeah. wanted to be a fanboy or anything like that, but I, you know, I, I I just wanted to talk a little bit more about the use of it because I think a lot of people got it confused and and think that it's it should be competing against the XCR and Tavor, and it's not it's not competing against those at all. No, it's a different animal, for sure. Uh, I really like where the charging handle is. That's one of my favorite features as well. Yeah. So for the listeners who haven't seen where the charging handle is, it's a weak hand side charging handle on the side of the receiver. 
much like where the XCR is. It's non-reciprocating. Uh, it's, it's where it's supposed to be. In my That's opinion. right. I mean, you, if your hand's on the on the controls, the fire controls, you, you just move your left hand, and you can you can charge the rifle and not have to take your hand away from the firing position. I mean, it, it's it's in a perfect position. I think it's I, actually yeah, perfect position. It's in a better location than an AR. I picked up an AR once that had uh, the EOTech or the rear sight so far back that you really had to work to get to the charging handle. I mean, that's not the design of the rifle's fault. That's the person who set it up didn't know enough to leave enough clearance to adequately get to your charging handle. But in this particular case, that would never be an option. There would never be an issue. You could hang whatever the, you want uh, the F, off the back. FN, FN foul uh, is, is run off the left side as well. It's, it's way more handy, right? You're yep. firing at something, you drop your mag, you put a new mag in with your left hand, your left hand goes up, pulls the charging handle and lets go and it's and you're ready to rock and roll. It's I, I, I think it's the right place as well. I wonder, I didn't look, does it have a air-style bolt release? Or is it all know. done off the charging handle? I don't know. Because uh, I'm all about the bad lever. But maybe it's not set up for one. So Now, the XCR had a left weak side charging handle and a bolt release on the trigger guard, much like where my uh, v- CZ858 tactical bolt release used to be. And again, kind of similar to a bad lever. So I wonder if they have a bolt release or if it's charging handle specific i'll have to look at it i'm looking at a picture of the left hand side right now and there is a paddle release there so i believe it is yeah left hand bolt release a bolt release kind of like like an air yeah i don't i don't know if a bad liberal will work or not but it it looks the same as an ar (laughs) you can make anything work trevor grab your dremel and duct tape you're good to go you got it buddy all right what else we got going on in the news this week well, there's a there's a whole bunch of uh, I don't know if everyone else out there knows, but there's a whole bunch of Black Friday sales at at just a bunch of online stores there. Um, so, Trevor, I I know you'll be really really interested in this. Grouse River has SKSs on for one sixty nine. <laughs> so the Calgary Shooting Center. Uh, if you don't shop there, you are a communist. They have a serious serious Black Friday sale going on tomorrow. Um, you, not only if you don't shop there, you're a communist. If you don't at least check out the the uh, the sale there, you're a communist. And we get nothing from them. We get no discounts. We have no promo code. I just I'm just telling you because I want you to save money. And I spoke with our buddy Jeff, and it's uh, it's quite significant. If uh, remember what I said, uh, I've been talking about the FN FNS, and the discount on that thing is so much I'm tempted to buy a second one. Yeah. Save hundreds of dollars on guns. That's saying something. Well, actually, it's not because Trevor buys all kinds of guns regardless of the price. But uh, it, it is a really good deal. You should get one. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, yeah, if you're looking for an FN, uh, this would be a chance to grab one. Uh, anything else in news before we jump into our main topic? No. All right. Well, you know, I think we should probably name this topic um, How to Reload shot shells for $6 a box when you can buy them for $4 a box. <laughs> That's we'll about see. right. It'll but you, you can't get exactly what you want if you don't reload Right, them. right. But, uh, all right. So uh, let's, uh, we'll see you back on the other side. All right, it's time for this week's main topic. And joining us is Mike Eislin from the Reloading Podcast to discuss shot shell reloading. Mike, welcome to Slamfire Radio. Thank you. It's nice to have you on, buddy. I've been 
listening to your show. It's got to be at least a year now that I've been listening to you guys. Appreciate that. Yeah, I've been yeah. listening to yours since, I think, episode 20. And we're, we're sorry, sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't, uh, I don't think, actually, I skipped last week's show when I heard it was going to be about um, cowboy action. And then I See, deleted you were it allowed to I, skip, but how come I couldn't skip when it was going to be about archery? And then when I heard George was on, I just went ahead and deleted it. <laughs> so see how much better that would have been, Matthew, had you not jumped in in the middle there and ruined I, the timing of my joke? I, I'm not yeah. concerned. No, you spelled Enfield wrong, by the way. Of course I did. That's okay. Carry on. There's show notes, not a spelling test. So, Mike, welcome to Slamfire Radio. <laughs> Squirrel. Um, uh, Mike, this is a self-serving interview. Um, basically, over the next 30 minutes, you're going to teach me how to set up and use my shot shell reloading press because I put it on the bench, and that's as far as we've gotten. But it's <laughs> we talk reloading on, on our podcasts the yep. You know, often, not just yours, but I mean, other podcasts, we all touch upon reloading from time to time, but I've not heard anything specific to shot shell reloading. And it's definitely something I want to get into. In particular, I want to make custom two and a half inch loads for my, uh, my semi-auto and, um, boy, I'm looking and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. There's a lot to consider here. It's not like metallic cartridge reloading whatsoever. We've got wads shot and the shot comes in different sizes and therefore different weights more or less i guess there are hulls and all of that's interchangeable right i can take any hull any wad any number of shot or and and just throw some powder in there and go not quite okay so why don't you Um, start at the beginning then how do we get involved in shot shell reloading and what do we need to start well the biggest difference between shot shell and uh, metallic reloading other than the actual you know components is the style of press um whereas progressive presses are very common with metallic it, it's not so much in the uh, shot shell world uh shot shell more often than not most people are going to have a single stage unless they're a serious trap shooter or they're a competitive shooter then they're going to be into a progressive but uh, for the most part it's just going to be a single stage and they look a little different from press to press unlike your standard where it's just a die and it's a, literally a single stage a uh, single stage shot shell press can have up to actually six different stations to do different uh, tasks so yeah i think i think mine falls under that category um the you physically remove the hull from one station move it to the next station perform another uh, task if you will move it to the next station move it to the next station with the exception of where the shell receives the wad or the powder, the wad, and the shot. That all happens in the center of my of my mech, but it, it uh, resizes in some kind of collet on one side. Then I actually remove it from there, put it to the center where I do those three steps, and then there's two different crimp stations. Would that make sense? Yes. Like a pre-crimp uh, and a final crimp or something? Yeah, pre-crimp okay. and a final crimp. Uh, without, the, without the pre-crimp... It won't actually fold in right, and so you'll get some pretty nasty-looking crimps that don't necessarily always stay. Okay. And then, you know, you go pull that box out and go to shoot trap, and all of a sudden you've got a big pile of shot at the bottom of the box, and you're not quite sure why until you find that shell that's, you know, half open at the bottom of the box. So Uh that's not a fun thing. So, um, okay, why don't you just carry on, and then maybe I'll just jump in and ask questions as we go here because I... 
Um, well, I've got a bunch of different things, but they may not be in any kind of logical order. So why don't you take okay. us through in a progression of how to reload and I'll ask about things as we go. Sure. Uh, your first step is going to be figuring out what you're reloading for, just like it would be a metallic. Um, with the shot shell, there's lots of different options. You've got all sorts of different uh, lengths of hull. You have different purposes you're loading for. So you're going to use different shot sizes, different wad sizes, depending on the hulls and stuff like that. So, Well, to keep it basic, simple, Mike, to keep yeah. it simple, because I know I'm going to be re- reloading number four shot. Okay. Why don't, we, why don't we focus on that? I'm going to reload number four size bird shot. Okay. So that uh, makes it easier. The biggest thing you're going to need to know is what type of hulls you have. Okay. I've got all kinds of different ones. I, I okay. actually have... Um, I have some some double A's, and I've got uh, like you know leftover federal trap loads and leftover Remington trap loads. But I know I hear a lot of positive things about double A's. But I also have a couple of bags, three bags of active, and they're completely plastic. Okay. And there's a couple of three gun competitors here in the province that say they are the cat's meow. You really want to get your hands on some of these actives. And they don't make them anymore, and they're 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 worth their weight in gold. And have you ever worked with them? I have not. Uh, okay. Most of mine's been either with um, Winchester Double A's or the uh, Remington STS or um, the regular Remington uh, field okay. grade. So, so let me ask you this: Why does it matter? Why can't I just take any one of my hulls um, and and reload and throw some number four in there with the appropriate wad and powder charge? And then how do I pick the appropriate wad? Well, the church. biggest issue is you're going to run into the different um, designs, the different styles of hull. Uh, okay. There's some that are all plastic. There's some that have uh, the plastic sides and that have a paper base. Um, and some of them you can reload because they are designed to be more than one use. Some of them are actually just a literally a one and done. Uh, the the design of them is so cheap that if you were to try and reload them again, they wouldn't uh, hold together. So you will find the biggest thing you're going to need to know is just like a metallic, you need the recipe. Uh, all the different manufacturers have their own recipes. Your wad companies have different recipes. Your powder manufacturers have different recipes. Uh, so I could end up with double uh, A hulls yep. and the right powder. Um, the right shot, but not the right wad. Correct. Or I could end and up with the right shot, the right wad, the right powder, but not the right hull. Yes. Oh man. There's uh, it, it's it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, the hull makes it more complicated than metallic because you can't just grab any piece of any, any hull, punch the primer out, throw a new primer in it, put your powder and your wad and your bullet in, and away you go. Um, so how do I determine? what hull to use or what wad to use with my double a hulls does that matter depending on whether or not i'm using a different size of shot or can i use any now i'm not talking buckle but let's say right seven number eight all the way up to number four or even bb will the wad that i choose matter on the shot size or can i use any shot size as long as the right wad for that hull uh, to a point, it does. Biggest thing that's going to make a difference with the wad you're going to use is uh, capacity of the load you're planning on using. Okay, uh, that's the that's the no more determining factor from four to nine 
in shot size than it is uh, oh. necessarily the so size. If I, want, if I want an ounce and a half of number four shot, then I've got to figure out how much gunpowder to use with that ounce and a half of number four shot, and that will tell me what wad to select? You're going to actually want to base the... It, the Wad is going to be based on the amount of shot you want to use more than the type of powder. The type of powder is also going to be determined. The type of powder is going to be determined by the wad and the shot. So it's not like metallic where you can grab the powder as your first component and go from there and build everything else around it. With shot shell, it's more the wad than anything else because the wad is what's taking up all the extra space in the hull. And if you have a wad that's designed for an ounce and a half, but it's designed for a, um, like a lower, like a lower capacity charge, then you can't take a powder, like say trail boss, which is really bulky and use that with that wad. You'd have to use maybe like a, you know, just as a, an example from, you know, metallic, a lot of, a lot of, uh, handgun reloaders, if they want a full case, they'll use trail boss versus using something like tight group. And it's the same thing in shot shell. Uh, you don't want to use a large wad and a large shot shell or a large shot weight with a small powder charge when you're using a bulky powder. And so that the powder is going to be more determined by what wad you use and how much shot you plan. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, uh, like that clear mud. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to pick... Your first thing you're determining is how much shot you're going to shoot. So you so you want to do with an ounce and a half. So you take your ounce and a half shot. You've got your holes, and then you go hunting for your recipe. You find your recipe. Okay. It's going to tell you what wad to use. And then with that wad, it's going to tell you what powders you can use with that wad. I guess that probably explains a little better. Yeah, that does. Pick the, pick the shot weight. Pick the hull. That's going to tell me the wad. And then I figure out which powder and how much powder to use for that charge and hull or yes. what okay well that's not so bad all right no. now is, it's just kind of in different order let's say i want a ounce and a half of number six what will change then will the powder charge change or will just the wad change or will both uh, change well if, you, if you're doing an ounce and a half whether it's in four or in six it's still going to be the same wad usually okay so, because the weight's going to be the same, the volume's going to be slightly different. Um, but like I've got, there's a certain, I'm looking to see. The one thing I didn't do is bring up any recipes. So bear with me a second here. No problem. Matthew likes to edit. I do not like yeah, to edit. In fact, somebody needs to tell a joke right now or something just so we don't have dead air because I'm not editing. That's terrible. I know. I anything? Know. <laughs> just uh, wondering if you're learning anything. I, I yeah, I'm listening with uh, with rapt interest. the uh, The fact that it's so much more different than just reloading metallic cartridges is news to me. I just figured it would be oh, throwing some gunpowder, throwing the wad, throwing some shot, and crimp it up. Obviously, measure it, but I didn't realize that there was going to be so much difference between you know powders and and like you have to match everything up with with metallic yep, cartridges. You can just kind of throw together whatever, and you can usually make it work one way or another. Yeah, there's one less component, right? You've got a you got a bullet weight and an appropriate powder charge range for that bullet weight, and that's it. But here, oh man, yeah, this, this is gonna be confusing. 
Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, so, yeah. what are some of the reasons why you would reload shot shells? Because I mean, you, you're not going to reload them for accuracy like you would with a, a rifle, and you're not going to like there. It's really hard to beat the price of uh, of cheap shot shells. So, why would you reload shot shells? In my case, I want to make custom loads, and what he's about to say, au contraire, and as far as price is concerned, not reloading the the target stuff. But if you cast your own buckshot and cast your own slugs, huge savings. Correct, Mike? Not only, yes. And not only that, but actually, depending on how much the components cost, you can actually reload. Uh, give an example. I reloaded 20 gauge for my kids when they were shooting trap this year. And I was, depending on what the cost of the, the shot was, I was anywhere from 50 to a dollar cheaper a box. So, yeah, you can save money. The biggest thing is going to be not only consistency from shell to shell, just like in hand loading for rifle, but you can tailor the load. You can make it a little hotter if you need to. You can change, um, you can change wads and go with a different wad for a different shot, you know, to get a different shot pattern and play it. Like if you're stuck with, say, grandpa's shotgun, it's got a modified barrel not a modified choke but a modified barrel so you can't change the, you know it doesn't have screw in chokes that's where hand loading is going to come in huge because now you can custom tailor your loads you can change you know you can take six you know in your number four shot you can take six bb's out or six pellets out and change the way the load patterns it, it's minor things you can change pattern wise you can drop your powder just a hair or you can increase your powder just a hair and change the way that it performs so it, it is a rather it is a worthwhile adv adventure and also you can change the speed so you can get it moving faster or moving slower depending on what you need to do yeah exactly well i could see so, how it'd be a lot cheaper with a 20 gauge and 16 gauge especially yeah um even 12 gauge i'm actually going to wind up saving a little bit so uh right now uh case of a case of shells down here is about 60 so and i can load a case of 12 gauge for what 55 so i mean it's a little bit of savings but it's more the fun of it too so but also you know i'm terrible i'm making the load slightly different so it is the kids are a little more accurate with it hmm. i yeah like like adriel i didn't think that uh you would actually increase your accuracy because we don't usually consider shot shells super accurate or precise. But if you're making mm -hmm. more consistent ammo, you're making more consistent ammo. And yeah. the bulk the bulk target stuff is the bottom of the barrel. It's like buying steel case or aluminum case 9 mil. Don't expect much out of it. Hmm. Okay, so now how different is it when we jump into reloading slugs or, or um, buckshot, let's say? Is there anything there that's above and beyond different than just reloading for regular birdshot? Um, buckshot? No. Slugs? Yes. Um, depending on what you're loading for. Now, if you're like last week, we were talking to uh, George and Scott and we were talking about SAS. Yes, I know everybody just groaned out in the audience, but that's tough. And they were talking about how some of them load for shot shells and they will, some of them will load slugs uh, for some of the intermediate targets. And so depending on what you're doing, you can actually load um, slugs into a regular hull or you can do the and do the regular crimp. It does affect the accuracy a little bit because it slows down the slug coming out and it, you know, creates a little more friction coming out of the hull. Plus, it tends to ruin the hull. 
Um, or there are special hulls you can get that are specifically di- designed for shot shells, and they're trimmed down a little bit, and then there's actually a special crimp to get that nice roll crimp that goes around the slug. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be different again, but once again, you're choosing you know, your weight of your slug and your wad first and then going from there. Interesting. What was your question? That was my question. How? Uh, what do we have to consider that's different above birdshot or buckshot? And I didn't, you know, I forgot about the fact that the a slug is open; it's not sealed up like the other, uh, like the birdshot and the uh, buckshot. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, what kind of different? Uh, talk a little bit about the um, the presses, the equipment that we need. What do I need to start reloading my? Uh, what do I need to get into reloading shot shells as far as reloading equipment? Like with uh, metallic, I need uh, shell plates and a press, and I need a primer flip tray, and sometimes I need a, a hand primer, and I, I need case lube. What do I need for for, uh, for reloading shot shell? Well, with shot shell, uh, you're going to need a shot shell press, obviously, uh, single stage or multi uh, progressive style. As we were describing earlier, the single stage actually has different stations that you're going to have to physically move the hull from station to station. Your first one is going to be your depriming and sizing. Your second one is going to be your priming. Your third, as you were saying earlier, actually is double duty. It is um, first going to charge the hull with powder, and then you're going to insert the wad and then put the shot on top of it. So what a lot of your presses have is they have what's called a charge bar. And uh, the common press you see is the Mex, where it's got the two bottles up on top. That's the common design. There are a few others out there, but the common one is the Mex style. And so you're going to have your your bottle of powder, and you're going to have your bottle of shot. And what the charge bar has is it has different holes uh, designed on each side, and then there's bushings that go into those holes to restrict or allow flow. And that is what actually is used to determine how much powder drops and how much shot drops. So you're going to have to use the manufacturer's listing to find out which bushing is used for what powder charge. Oh, now it's, are there ever... Uh, sorry, mine has a dial on the side. Is that... What does that dial do? Is it kind of the uh, same thing? Or is there still bushings in there? It seems like the dial is like a micrometer. I thought that would determine the powder throw. Uh, Dial it to 11. <laughs> there you go. You know, most of them, yours is a Mac, right? Yep. An older Mac? Yep. Yeah. Um, there should still be both slots for the char- in the charge bar. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, honestly, I have not played with one of those that have okay. the micrometer adjustments. Okay. So, mine, um, I think part of it is actually depth setting. Um, you can adjust this depth on some of them. I don't know about your particular one. Okay, not a problem. Uh, I'll send you some pictures of it, and you can kind of let me know what you think. Yeah, you'll have to send me some pictures. But it seems on to me I've had, the, I've had the I've had the the uh, what did you call that bar? Charge bar. I've had the charge bar apart, and I do think uh, I remember seeing those different inserts. Yeah, usually the newer ones are going to come with. Uh, anywhere from 5 to 15, depending on what you want to do. And then you can buy different sizes. And they use different bushings for powder and different bushings for the shot. So it's not like you can just take 
a bushing, throw it in either side, and it'll work. They're designed differently. So, okay, very good. I think that's all I have, gentlemen. Do you have any uh, any questions for Mike before we cut them loose and I go try to not blow myself up with my uh, mech? <laughs> I look forward to watching the video of you blowing yourself up with the mech. <laughs> Since you'll be running the camera, I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah, um, just in terms of slugs, like um, if if I if I was to run one of these, I'd probably want to make my own slugs. What uh, what kind of casting equipment do you use, and, and what would come recommended? Just in terms uh, of dies. Cast, uh, dies. Uh, Lee makes a slug die. Uh, most of your casting equipment is going to be the exact same as it would for casting regular bullets. It's just going to oh, be the die yeah, that's going to be different. Yeah, just the die. Because so, I've seen the, the drive key one that Lee has. I just haven't seen anything else yeah. out there. Lyman has one that actually looks like a big pellet, like a 170, like a 177 caliber pellet. It looks yeah. just like and everything? Pretty much, yep. Yeah. Have you seen that, Mike? Uh, I think I remember seeing it at one point in time. Uh, I haven't gotten into casting slugs, so. Um, but, the yeah, the- I, and I want to say there's another one out there. There used to be a mold you could get, and I don't know if you can still get it or not. Um, I've seen it once, and that was for actually casting the true uh, Forster-style slug, which is what? the original. Um, it's not a smooth side slug. It actually has, it looks like reverse rifling on it. Okay. Um, if you buy, uh, it's the common slug up until yeah. about 10 years ago, and now you've got all the Sabo slugs. Yeah. So. But well, Sabo slug the, is useless um, without a rifled barrel, right? Right. Okay. Wouldn't the, uh, wouldn't the rifling that's on the slug uh, for a Forester be kind of hard to get out of the, like make the, the bullet hard to get out of the die? It would. Um, and that may be why they don't, you don't find them anymore. <laughs> Because they're painted in butt. So, yeah, I'm looking at these Lyman ones that tre- that Trevor mentioned. They're wild. Yeah, they're like a flat point uh, 177 pellet. They're crazy. Mm. I wonder how those would do. Oh, those are those are uh, sable slugs as well. Though the pellet kind of looking ones, but they've got some hollow base here that uh, that don't need rifling or sabos. So that'd be kind of neat. Yeah, they've got the Foster slug, and it does not have the typical Foster rifling. It's just it's a smooth side. Oh, so. Yep. Awesome. But it's it's the obturating design, so so cool. basically it's kinda like a mini ball, essentially. Now now can you uh, can thing. you define what obturating means for the listeners who don't know? And and perhaps myself. <clears throat> I will get you the actual definition. Oh okay. Is it gonna have bigger words? Because like spoiling. just smaller words is what I'm good with. He's spoiling you, Matthew. Actually, <laughs> Mike, don't don't send him the words. Send him a diagram, and by diagram I mean uh, a wax crayon colored picture. Oh, wait, I do understand those. <laughs> I, I will have uh, I will have my uh, kids uh, go ahead and whip one of them up for you. So there you go. So do we actually want to wait on this definition, Matthew, or are we going to cut them loose? And no. Um, basically, what it is is it's just. Uh, it's a uh, design, it's kind of like a mini ball where uh, the skirt essentially blows out. It keeps, it's designed so that it pushes. Oh, it, ex- it expands the to the contour of the barrel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, yeah I know you what know that, that means. Uh, you know that shot where Marilyn Monroe goes over top of the air thing and that's, pulls her skirt that's, up? And that's it exactly bigger? it. That's, yep. what, that's what it does. That's yep. obturation. Yeah, gotcha. I understand completely. Cool. I, I thought I had heard that word before, but I forgot what it meant. Yeah, Jim uh, on one of our podcasts gave a ridiculously long $15,000 uh, 15, 
explanation, but I wanted to try I, and make it simpler. Yeah, I, I don't find that. that hard to believe. <laughs> Jim he never talks any words. He never talks more than he has to and, and is always concise and to the point. Uh-huh. Sure. Tongue, tongue in cheek much? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm pretty sure he doesn't listen, so we're safe. Oh, we can give him crap. We give him crap all the time. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Well, Mike, I'd like He's to... He's like uh, everybody else out here. He's fair game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, ain't nobody safe if they don't show up. So Exactly. Cool. Well, Mike, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, I do feel less confused, but no less overwhelmed. So there's that. Well, like I tell everybody else, um, if you want, get a hold of me either on Facebook or track me down somehow. And I'm more than willing to, if I can, if we can work out the time to actually Skype or Google Hangout or whatever and walk people through steps while they're oh, reloading. That'd, that'd be neat if I could, uh, yeah, if we could Skype and you could actually, uh, if I could set a camera up so you could watch me and my press and say, no, no, don't do that. Yes, do that. No, don't touch that. <laughs> Um, but I would also, what I, what I could do is take an inventory of the wads. Yep. So I have a huge box full of wads nice. and tell you the different, oh yeah, there's, there's hundreds of dollars worth of wads in there. Um, and, uh, tell you the kinds of hulls that I have. And, uh, as I said, I'd like to start with number four and then you could say, okay, this is uh here's a recipe. Try this. Yeah. Um, I played with the press a couple of times, and I ended up dumping shot all over the bench several times. Yeah. Don't feel bad. Most of us have. Yeah. It's just, instead of just leaving it alone and get somebody to show me, I had to play with it. And, oh, that's and, the fun. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Guys, anything else for Mike before we uh, let him go on his merry way? No, I think we're good. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Awesome. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Sorry I couldn't hang for the whole episode, but... No problem. But before we let you go, Mike, let the listeners know where they can find your podcast. And, uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, www.reloadingpodcast.com. Uh, otherwise, you can. we do have a Facebook page, too. Stop by. Say hi. And uh, yeah. make sure you stop by the Slam for a Radio Facebook page and give them a like. Because yeah, we need it. That's true. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, what about the Reloading Room? The Reloading Room on Facebook. Uh, that is the group that Jim started a few years ago. There's 22,000 and some change members in there. Is if you all? have a question about reloading or anything reloaded relating, go ahead and swing by the Reloading Room. Uh, you can use, uh, the if you're your friend, like in a Chrome browser and you go to Facebook, the in-page search option works really well for the Reloading Room. So you can put that topic in and search and usually there's somebody that has asked a question similar before that you may have an answer if not join up uh and uh ask a question you can get an answer real quick awesome excellent well all right mike we'll let you go thank you very much and uh look forward to hearing your next episode sounds good thanks guys once again i'd like to thank mike from the reloading podcast be sure to go over there and check them out they have a fantastic show and they don't just talk about the equipment and recipes they talk about reloading for precision and all kinds of good stuff reloading for specific sports it's an excellent show uh, i listen to it every week so if you haven't checked it out yet please do the reloading podcast they have their own version of carl over there or of stan over there actually very nice you know cool. the old 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 guy that knows everything the old they, guy yeah they got one of those so yeah <laughs> unlike us who's, who just who's our one of those that's trevor except yeah, just old. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I stopped. You, did you notice I stopped? I self-checked there. 
All right. Good job. Thank you. Um, a little too late, but... Uh, Sorry. I tried. Too late to never, I guess. Look, I'm attempting, right? It's a thought you're, that counts. You're attempting. attempting. Yep. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into our listener feedback. Uh, the first one comes to us from Carl. Carl says, hey, guys, I just got a message from a Toronto Star reporter that wants to write a piece about firearms owners in the Toronto area. I guess he found me because of some comment I made on the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights Facebook page. Anyway, I told him I'd help him, but that he should get a hold of Rod Giltaka and or any of you guys. I'm relatively new to firearms ownership. I know that you guys are out east, but I think an interview with me might be a little shallow in comparison to what you guys can offer. Uh, and he gave us his contact information in case we were interested, and that's Brennan. Uh, no, once is from, is it, it's either from, uh, no, no, I, I think Brennan the, I, is the reporter's name, sorry. Yeah. The email was from Kyle. The Brennan's name was the reporter's name was Brennan. Um, well, thank you, Carol. Uh, I believe it's probably actually best that it's you or somebody from Toronto because he's looking for the. I imagine he's looking for the opinion of somebody from Toronto, and he's probably going to. And this is all speculation. He may want to say, "Hey, you know, this is Toronto, and the center of the universe, and we're all uppity, and we don't need guns. Well, why do you have a gun?" So he probably wants an actual. Toronto citizens' point of view. Uh, he may want to uh, do the rural versus urban approach or gun violence in the inner city. I don't know. Just, you know, if he wants to talk to somebody from Toronto, he wants to talk to you, I would I would encourage you to do it. Um, the only advice I could offer you is, you know, if if don't be aware of bait and switch. Don't say, choose your words carefully so that, you know, if they uh, twist them up later, It'll, it won't do any damage. And um, don't be afraid, you know, if he starts quizzing you on things you're not comfortable with or don't know, feel free to say, you know, I'm not really the right person to ask that question to. I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that or I don't know that. What you don't want to do is make stuff up. Don't make something up on the spot because you feel pressured to answer a question. If you don't know, say you don't know. At the end, if he doesn't have enough to do the interview, he won't do it. Uh, but that's it. Just be yourself. Relax. Be honest, and and uh, certainly don't let him suck you into any uh, vicious debate where he wants to rile you up and make you sound like a lunatic. And uh, it should be fine. Yeah, that sounds like good advice. You just got to be careful. You know, like Trevor said, sometimes they they want to catch you saying something so that they can blow it out of proportion. So just be careful what yeah. you say. But uh, I mean, you know, you have and no anytime control. we get a anytime we get a chance to to give our side of the of the coin, it, it's a good opportunity. Yeah, just just be aware. Once the interview is done, you have no control over that content. You can't control it. If he wants to edit the heck out of it, then it's out there. There's nothing you can do to get it back. Adriel, would you take this one from Kim? I don't know. I'm not qualified to answer this question. Okay, well, you read it and match your answer. <laughs> from Kim, this is a shot shell caddy that uses about $10 worth of Chicago screws and a piece of Kydex I had laying around. Like you guys, I had a hard time justifying the cost of commercial shot shell caddies for the first, uh, for the few three gun matches that I actually shoot every season. The three quarter inch dowel and a little heat form the loops for the shells, and with a little tweak at the bottom to keep them from falling out, they have been secure as well as easy to grab for the low twos. The advantage of the solid back plate is that you can move them around if you want to try load fours or use gloves and need a bit more room between the pairs. They have passed the stop, drop, and roll several times, 
Going prone is also okay, and as they have a fairly low profile, and that's from Kim. Um, yeah, that's that sounds great. I mean, I've I've seen a lot of um, a lot of really crafty stuff done with Kydex from uh, from gun owners that has been really cool. One of the guys at my uh, at my shooting range that does three gun runs some shot shell holders from a custom made like full Kydex piece that he runs at a, a chest level kind of a thing. So like. Just above his belly button, he's got these shot shell loaders that he made from a, a Kydex loader that is is just wild. It's completely self-made. It's really cool what people are doing out there with uh, with their free time and some heat and a little bit of Kydex. Yeah, Kydex is cool to play with. Owen uh, Owen's really good with it too. He actually made me a, a custom holster for the uh, little twenty two pistol I have. Oh, sweet. Yeah, he's it's, it's pretty cool stuff. Neat. Matthew, you want to get the next one? From Thomas Donnelly, hi guys. Just to clarifying something that Trevor said on your last show, I asked Trevor to come on New Shooter Canada to talk about PPC. I did not ask to come on Slamfire to talk about PPC. In fairness, I read that while I was driving. That's okay. It's bad enough that he blames my for his momentary lapse in reason and buying. I blame your my what? <laughs> It's funny. He must have written this while he was driving. Perhaps. <laughs> For his momentary lapse of reason in buying back his six, uh, 586 PPC revolver. I'm By the way, Trevor. I didn't buy it yet. I'm just considering it. Right. By the way, Trevor, let me know when you want to sell it again. I'm interested in another revolver at the price you paid. I tried. He reneged. <laughs> ah, what are you going to do? On the topic of betting your rifle's action, Frosty had some great suggestions, as always. The only thing I would have to add would be this. If it's a new rifle, do not bed your stock. This will void your warranty. Just ask Tony Bernardo about his Remington war- uh, warranty horror story because of betting his stock. This from the guy who encourages everybody to drill holes in the back of their 1022 receiver. <laughs> so you can clean it without taking it apart. <laughs> yeah. Slamfire Radio is my all-time favorite podcast, but... Modern Rifleman Radio is a very close second. Can in that Where does other that put New Shooter Canada? I don't know. Uh, uh, third, I guess. Yes. Uh, Ken and that other guy are very good. Yes, George Hatch. It's like a Pepsi employee drinking a Coke on the job when I support another podcast. But if it were not for Trevor, Matt, and Chris Anderson, there would not be any Canadian program radio for all of us to enjoy. And of course, the last voice I get to hear every Thursday night before I drift off to sleep is that lovely redhead, Jewel McClatchy. Hey, hey, that's my wife! She's a redhead? Since when? Yeah, well, she does the thing to her hair with the colors and stuff. Okay. Yeah, she's usually a redhead. You just don't notice because you're a man and you don't right. notice women's hair. Yeah, so, apparently he knows the th- color. This is why you and I are still friends and Thomas, I have to keep at a safe distance because, you know, gotcha. apparently... He's attracted to redheads. Hair? I didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> she has hair. I didn't. Re- I didn't. Didn't notice. No. Stay away from my wife, Thomas. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Thank. Thank you for the email. That was. Uh, that was a good one. Very entertaining. And, yes. <laughs> yeah. And and enjoy your Pepsi. <laughs> or Coke. Sorry. Enjoy the Coke. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So New Shooter Canada. Be sure to go over there and check them out. And uh, always a good time. And Kelly, if you need to learn how to mute your uh, Skype notifications, just let one of us know and we'll walk you through it. Or Stacy could just leave you alone while recording. Um, so <laughs> this next one comes to us. This is so ironic. Stacy just literally sent me a Facebook message asking that, if we were done. Yeah. That is funny. Yeah. From Wes. Hello, fellas. Just sitting here listening to Slamfire while posting up the latest. Uh, regular CQB match of the season. 
I couldn't help but pay attention when I heard the letters PPC spoken by you guys. PPC slash duty gun isn't as glorious or as popular as its practical shooting brethren, but it does have its place. I started shooting PPC and it taught me to draw from the holster efficiently and to shoot accurately. But I have since seen the light and now I've been putting on IDPA in in Regina for three or four years now. PPC is great for keeping up skills, perhaps if you are getting a little slower on the action range, like when I got my when I like when I go for my ACL replacement surgery this winter, I will probably be hitting the PPC range a lot next year. Yes, it's it's kind of it's like Florida for action shooters. That's what it is. It's where you go when you retire. <laughs> It also helped me with running CQB in the province. Barney showed me a showed me and uh, some other shooters. Okay, so we Barney showed me and some other. There's no "ah" there. That "ah" shouldn't be there. Barney showed me and some other shooters the ropes of CQB in Saskatchewan a couple of years back. Coupled with my experience with CPCA Canadian Police Combat Association matches, I think they're going rather well. Say what you want, but CQB is pretty much PPC slash duty slash CPA with a rifle. Oh, that's an interesting analogy. CQB is an awesome sport. My favorite, I'd wager to say. Love to make it out east for a service rifle shoot someday, though. Hats off to you guys, and hats off to the guys in the ORA who can hit a 500-meter target after all that running around. Hope you guys get a chance to try out CQB one day, as I think it should be a popular sport from coast to coast. Thanks for, thanks for the shameless publicity on the show. I will include some photos of our Bush League Club, SAS Tactical IDPA, and myself from this year. I'm the idiot with the VZ and the Canadian Punisher logo on the back. P.S. Practice score is the best thing ever. Wes. Mr. Wes. That's Mr. West to you. That is Mr. Thank, West to you. Thank you, Wes, and sorry I uh, butchered your email. If anybody else would like me to butcher their email because it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm looking with only one eye open, I'm literally <laughs> that tired, you can send it to slamfireradio at gmail.com where I will do my best to make it sound awkward and clunky. And although it may be correctly written, I will make it sound as if it was poorly so. <laughs> Do we have any iTunes reviews? I don't know. I didn't check. All right. Do we have any shoutouts? You do. Anyone else? I do not. To okay. RJ and Jess. RJ, friend of the show, has been on quite a few times. I think Jess has even been on once or twice. Yep. Uh, they are, have a new baby. Yes. Congratulations to them. Yes. I heard it was born with a Glock 19 in its hand. I cannot confirm. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yes. Bolivar, sorry you felt left out again um, when I ask, or sorry you feel left out when I ask other people's stuff. Huh. He There's got to be a story behind like, that. Called? No, he's like, you ask, you ask Mike reloading questions? What am I, dog food? Well, yes, but that's, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm my only friend, Bolivar. I can call other people and talk to other people and get help from other people. I hung up on him twice today, actually. <laughs> yeah. He was, uh, yeah, I thought, yeah, so whatever. He, sorry, Bolivar. And, right. uh, yeah, all right, let's sign this thing off and, and, and wrap it up. Sure. Join a gun org, check us out on GOC, like us on Facebook. Why does it still say go F yourself, San Diego? 
I do read off the prop- prompter, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, take the kitchen. Yeah, have, 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 we'll see you next week, I guess. So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun. I'm so glad I'm paying premium top dollar for fiber <laughs> <laughs> this is what you sounded like, Trevor. I'm so glad that I'm paying premium top dollar for the internet that I'm here because it, it's this internet the best that I've ever had. Like, any more for I'd be like, man, this is awesome internet. <laughs> How is that? It's hilarious. <laughs>